You're listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I want to talk about everything. On the money this hour, Twitter now has its largest individual shareholder, and it is a pretty familiar name. CNBC senior markets correspondent Dominic Chu is joining us now with a look at uh, several business headlines today. So, Dom, I want to start with some of the major news driving the market right now. And we're talking about Elon Musk and Twitter. What's going on? So this is the world's richest person, to your point, Aaron, taking some of that estimated $290 billion worth of wealth to buy a piece of Twitter. So like you pointed out, Tesla founder and CEO Elon Musk just disclosed the purchase of over 73 million shares of Twitter. That makes him a 9.2% owner of Twitter, to be very precise here. It also makes him the single biggest shareholder of the company, even bigger than some of the biggest mutual fund and exchange-traded fund investors in Twitter. Elon Musk is, of course, a Twitter power user. It's one of his primary ways of engaging the world overall and has not only moved stock and cryptocurrency markets, but also, again, stoked the ire of a lot of regulators, some of whom believe his tweets could amount to some kind of market manipulation. So it's not perhaps out of the realm of reason he could want a piece of Twitter. But Aaron, this also comes, of course, less than a couple of weeks after Musk tweeted, of all things, a very sharp criticism of Twitter for not promoting free speech. So a very, very interesting drama building around Elon Musk, Tesla, SpaceX, and of course now Twitter. And welcome back to the Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. Oh, hi, lol. Elon Musk tweets out yesterday at 10.04 a.m., his first tweet since buying 9.2% of... Twitter, very funny business that if you ask me, we will get more into that subject as we go along. But for the time being, I just want to start off by saying we are at episode 364 of this podcast. That means that after this one comes 365, if you're good at math. And that in turn means we are right on the verge of there being one episode of this podcast for every day of the year. So, hypothetically, suppose someone came to you and asked, hey, what's a podcast I could listen to one episode of for every day for a full year and get something fresh and different every day for a year? Well, after this episode... And the next one, you'll be able to tell them the Garrett Ashley Mullet Show, of course. So that's exciting. Of course, I didn't realize that was a milestone to uh, commemorate and look forward to. But come to think of it, uh, we're almost there. In other news, I just finished a very interesting book. White Cargo, The Forgotten History of Britain's White Slaves in America by Don Jordan and Michael Walsh. And I started it yesterday and I finished it late last night. Actually, here's how good it was. I went to bed, my wife and I got everybody all settled, all the kids, house was quiet. We retired about 10 p.m. last night, and I laid there awake, tossing and turning, and I couldn't get back to sleep until I got up after about an hour of tossing and turning and finished this book. So that is to say, I did not sleep quite as well as I should have last night, I'll be honest, also, I've got a little bit of a cold going on, so if you hear a stuffy nose, that's what it is. But White Cargo, The Forgotten History of Britain's White Slaves in America is a very eye-opening account, which bridges uh, a number of features of American history, British history, not just the history of Scotland and Ireland, but also of England, and of course, for me personally, it feels like there are certain 
elements of my genealogy, my history, family history that this speaks to, particularly where on my mother's side, I've been able to trace the McFarlands back a long, long ways. And there's lots of qualifiers with that. Lots of questions still to be answered. I'm not 100% convinced with the amount of time that I've put in and what I have read and maybe some conflicting accounts here and there, depending on if you ask this resource or if you look at this resource and then these people speculate and then that person fills in details but doesn't say where they got them from. But I've been able to at least trace back the McFarlands to Scotland at a minimum and everybody agrees back to the days of William Wallace and Robert the Bruce. That's where the namesake of the clan was born and lived and came of age. And then sometime between 1700 and 1720, it appears, the McFarlands that I hail from came to the United States, came to Pennsylvania. At one point, they're in Tyrone County, Ireland, Northern Ireland, late 1600s, early 1700s. And the next thing you know, both John McFarland and James McFarland are in Pennsylvania, and each of them have a child being born. But why, right? Like, why did they end up in Ireland for a brief stint. And why did they end up moving from Ireland to America? And there's a number of different things that are kind of in the mix that are swirling around that time period. There's definitely the context of the Ulster plantation. They're definitely a part of that Ulster plantation in my mind, in my view. Wikipedia supports this as well with the entry for Clan McFarlane saying that the Earls of Lennox had been a part of that Ulster plantation in Northern Ireland, and that the McFarlands basically followed them over. A number of McFarlands, because they were on the wrong side of the law or the wrong side of the king, if you will, after the dust-up with the Calcoons uh, on the part of the McGregors, uh, in a basically a number of McFarlands, laid low in Ireland. And so they come to Ireland, and then maybe that ends up getting a little bit too hot, a little bit too contentious, a little too dangerous to be sustainable. It's just not worth it. But then going back to Scotland isn't really worth it, and so they just try their hand in America. But there's a question mark there, okay? Why then, right? Why... Why at that point in time do you come over here? And also, with what I seem to find agreement with all sources on regarding the McFarland generations, the clan chiefs and barons of McFarland, all the way back to William Wallace and Robert the Bruce, and a few generations before that as well, everyone seems to agree, depending on who I am consulting or what I'm reading, I can go back to the first kings and queens of Scotland. And before that, a kingdom called Dalriada, kings of Dalriada. And then before that, supposedly, some high kings of Ireland. That's where the Scottish came from. And then the folks that we think of now as being the Scots intermarried with a different people group called the Picts. But this book, White Cargo, The Forgotten History of Britain's White Slaves in America, I definitely want to talk more about. I I have a lot to say about this. I, I have a lot of comments to add. But I'm going to save those for tomorrow's episode, I think. Because I just did a book review day before yesterday for Edward Rutherford's China, the novel. 
And I don't want to do two book reviews in a row. I want to talk a little bit more about this news of Elon Musk buying almost 10% of Twitter, shocking everyone, surprising in a happy way, a whole lot of people, in a very unhappy way, a whole lot of other people. But just real briefly, before the episode, we will dedicate more fully to Don Jordan and Michael Walsh's book. One of the things that sparked a thought, and this is just a thread to pull on, it's something to explore and research and try and look for and dig for when time allows, when there is more time, free attention, was towards the end of this book where there's a battle fought basically the last hurrah, the last attempt by the Jacobites to put the Stuart heir back on the throne. They don't accept George I, the first of the Hanoverian monarchs. They don't accept that George I is the rightful king, and they want to make it happen, right? They're going to make their legitimate king as they see it into the actual king and they're going to remove this pretender. So the Battle of Preston is fought in 1715 in Preston, Lancashire, England. And initially there's about 4,000 Jacobites, mostly Scots, on the one side. And by the end of it, the Jacobites lose. And 1,400 to 1,500 are captured. The noblemen who led and organized and orchestrated the uprising are executed, condemned to execution, the death penalty for treason, high treason. But 600 of the rank-and-file Highlanders are basically given a deal where by they can avoid being executed if they agree to transportation to the colonies, principally the 13 colonies in America. And that being 1715, I really do wonder if that might have been at least related to why John and James McFarland suddenly show up in the Americas in 1720, a child being born to each of them. The younger being 22 at the time, born 1698, according to, again, some sources. Dates can be hard to come by, but his father being, I think, about 40. But it's a curious thing. It's a curious uh, business, trying to puzzle that out, and wondering at this whole indentured servitude concept and that being as this book explains and makes clear you know much more akin to slavery than we've been led to believe and really the predecessor for the institution of slavery as we know it uh, the irish in particular scots as well convicts and orphans and undesirables dregs of society as they were seen by the British government from all over the British Isles were basically just dumped in America and in Barbados and in the various holdings, colonies around the world. Get them out of here was their thought and put them to work, uh, essentially sell them, uh, sell them to merchants and wealthy landowners in the colonies. And then those guys make a killing, and sometimes literally. And they can dispose of these indentured servants very often any way they please, any way they choose. It's at their discretion. If they want to be kind, they can be kind. If they want to be absolutely cruel, well, they demonstrate a capacity for that as well, many of them. But it is interesting. It really is interesting to have the whole business of slavery and this country's founding and colonialism and imperialism British history, my own family history, 
reframed along these lines, I intend to explore this further and more fully in the days, weeks, and months ahead. But for right now, let's put that off to the side. Believe it or not, I do think there's a connection to this whole business with Twitter. But I want to talk more fully in this episode about Elon Musk buying more shares of Twitter than anybody has at this point. Jack Dorsey, I read, has something like 2.5% worth of shares. So for Elon Musk to have 9.2% means that Elon Musk now owns almost four times as much as the guy who is sometimes fondly referred to as hipster Rasputin, uh, the guy who founded Twitter, who stepped down in recent years, or I think actually in the past year, recent months, stepped down as CEO of Twitter. But Elon Musk, I'll tell you what, the news that he is being appointed to the board of directors, that just broke. I saw that right before we started recording here, oh, 30 minutes ago, something like that. The thought that Elon Musk is going to be on the board of directors and is ready to make changes and encourage that changes be made to the way that the company is run, uh, it's very encouraging. And I'll tell you why. Twitter, what they have done with locking me out of my account, and I am still, by the way, locked out of my account. I'm still not able to access my account. That 12-hour suspension has turned into an indefinite suspension, all because I tweeted at Chris Jolly Hale, failed candidate for Tennessee's 4th District for the United States Congress in 2020, what a retarded thing to say. That's all. That, that's all I tweeted. I, I tweeted that he had just said a retarded thing because he was calling for the removal and replacement of Marsha Blackburn because she dared to ask Ketanji Brown-Jackson to define what a woman is. All, all because I said that was a retarded thing to say for him. I am not able to get back on Twitter for now going on a week and a half or more. I think this Friday will become two weeks, something like that. But this has happened for years. There have been a lot of Twitter insiders, Twitter employees and contractors who have approached groups like Project Veritas to whistleblow, to say, hey, it's really underhanded and dirty and very manipulative and very dishonest what happens behind the scenes. And of course, companies like Google and Twitter and Facebook, anytime allegations have come out that their employees and even just their architecture, their official company policy or unofficial company policy is to censor conservatives and to amplify leftist figures, leftist contributors. Anytime those allegations have come out over the years, the official party line is, oh, no, 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 we don't, we don't do that. It's just algorithms, right? It's just algorithms. That's all. And of course, too, the response from a lot of leftists who don't want Twitter being regulated and they don't want Twitter being taken a closer look at for violations of their special status, whereby they are exempt from prosecution. They, they can't be held liable if something said on their platform incites violence or leads to criminal activity, murder. They can't be sued for damages for something being left up on there that ends up being libelous or slanderous, untrue. And yet, at the same time, they act as a publisher, essentially publishing the world's 155, 170 characters or less, whatever it is, thoughts, announcements, 
reactions. Metadata. I mean, their primary business model is selling influence uh, over you and me. I mean, that's, that's their primary business model. Whether that takes the form of amplifying certain voices or suppressing others or selling the metadata, which is so very, very helpful in marketing to you, in campaigning to you, in appealing to you, in talking you into, persuading you, manipulating you into voting against your own self-interest, buying something against your own self-interest or your better judgment, participating in something or not participating in something, not buying something, not voting according to your self-interest. But leftists who like what it is that Twitter's doing because it's for them, it's for their side, will come back and they'll say, well, it's a private company. Yeah, I thought you conservatives were for private companies being able to do what they want, right? Mind your business. Go start your own, right? Go start your own social media platform if you don't like Twitter so much. Stop complaining. Oh, hey, wait, we did that, actually. It was called Parler, and it got removed. It got yanked off the internet because big tech decided that they didn't want competition. Amazon Web Services removed it. Google and Apple app stores removed it. I mean, they, they choked it out. They ganged up on Parler and they choked it out because they couldn't handle being co- competed with. They couldn't handle conservatives actually making their own social media platform. And it never came back the same, by the way. I don't, I don't believe that it came back the same. I believe it came back very much altered, like invasion of the body snatchers. Yeah, it looks like Parlor, but something off about it. I don't think this is actually Parlor. I think this is a honeypot. <laughs> so now, what happens? First, some reactions. Look at all the woke Twitter employees that were triggered by Elon Musk becoming the company's largest shareholder. Not to be reported yesterday afternoon. Harambe reported at not to be. There's some screenshots that Andy Ngo has posted, taken and posted. Side-by-side captures of tweets from Twitter employees and also their profiles where they say what their title is, what their position is at Twitter. So the first is Gerard Taylor. He identifies as he, him, puts it right there in his display name, at the Gerard Taylor, he, him. Senior software engineer at Twitter, commerce X at Intel, mentor, my opinions are my own. He is from Brookline, Massachusetts, joined August 2011. He tweets out, my current sentiment, quote, stock is up, yay, but what about our company culture, end quote. Hmm, you poor thing. Also, here is Jerry Kidd, a recruiting manager for Twitter, responding to the news that Elon Musk is now the largest stakeholder in the company. And I quote, looks like I picked a good week to be off. Hashtag no ragrets, end quote. Also, she's got a couple of hashtags there in her bio. Recruiting manager at Twitter, mom, wife, boss. Hashtag Black Lives Matter. Hashtag until we all belong. She, her. She prefers being referred to as she and her. Okay. Good. Cool. It looks like you're a she and a her, so that seems appropriate. Also goes without saying. There's also a quote here, capture here, from Ashna Giuliani, 
a Twitter software engineer. She posted a video of a crying woman to show how upset she is over at Elon Musk becoming the largest stakeholder in the company with the caption, me trying to enjoy the stock price without thinking about why. And then finally, there is Haraldur Thorleifsson, something something director at Twitter. That's literally what his LinkedIn bio screenshot says. He's something something director at Twitter. His tweet is, quote, Elon Musk just temporarily at least made me a lot of money and I still dislike him. Yeah, but why? Right? That's my question. Why? So, you know, it's it's a funny game of pretend, right? Where we all know, right? The, the left knows, conservatives sure as hell know that Twitter is not fair. They are not even-handed. Their idea of morality and community standards is that their leftist ideas at the end of the day have to ascend. And the old ideas, a.k.a. what people, what human beings, what products of Western civilization have believed for thousands of years, for all of human history, recorded human history even, those ideas have to go away. We need to send those to the cornfield and cancel and silence and suppress and censor and destroy anyone who complains, who says, no, I don't, you know, these are, these are pretty basic tenets of reality that you're messing with and that you're disputing, right? That is Twitter's idea of community standards. The left always wins. Democrats always win. Socialists always win. Globalists always win. If you are for your own country, putting your own country first, if you believe that God created us male and female in the beginning, in his image, if you believe that abortion is wrong, if you believe that sometimes anti-racism is actually just racism, if you believe that the government should actually be accountable to its people, to the governed, when it is a Democrat administration. And if you believe all those things, you are problematic as they see it, and you need to go away. Not just those ideas need to go to the cornfield. This is the dangerous thing about censoring people online for disagreeing with you politically, socially, religiously, economically. At a certain point, your efforts to just shadow ban them stop working. And then they personally need to go away. I kind of hope that there's a lot of turnover at Twitter. I really do. I hope that a whole lot of these folks throw their entitled hissy fit and stage a walkout. And that's it. And they're done. I hope that there is a readiness on the part of enough Twitter employees to overhaul this mass formation psychosis machine <laughs> and, and put it to better use. This is the public square. It is wrong. It is wrong that a company built in America would claim that it is shutting us all up for our own good. So long as these are not our ideas. You have wrong think, you have wrong speak. Whoop. Until you say two plus two equals five, you can't come back. Oh, and that story there about Hunter Biden's laptop right before the election. Oh yeah, we're definitely not going to let people share that. We're definitely going to lock down the oldest newspaper in the country, the New York Post. We're going to lock them down right before an election because they are publishing this story about Joe Biden's son being enormously corrupt. 
and the very strong evidence that it is not Russian misinformation. Thank you very much. Now the media is starting to take that seriously. But the damage has been done. The damage has been done. And Twitter played an outsized role in the damage being done, not only to America, but to the world. What Twitter did with silencing conservatives, with shadow banning conservatives, with suppressing the reach of conservatives on their platform, throwing off the president, the sitting president of the United States of America, because they don't like his politics, censoring anybody who criticized the left, willy-nilly, open season on conservatives on their platform, played a direct role in making the world a poorer and more dangerous place where literal nuclear warfare, World War III, has been really on a lot of people's minds. I mean, Elon Musk, from his part, is my hero for stepping in at this juncture and saying, hmm, something should be done about this. I think I'll do something about this. So again, what's going to happen? Well, him sitting on the board of directors... He has an outsized role he can play in changing company policy. And if everything was being done above board before, you know, what is it that these radical lefties at Twitter are so worried about? If it was all above board and even-handed and totally not biased, totally fair, what are they worried about with him having just bought 9.2% of the company? What? is the problem. Hmm. He tweeted out last night about 6.48 p.m. Do you want an edit button? Yes or no? Conducted a poll. He had, or has, over 3 million votes cast for that question. I would vote, but I can't because I'm locked out of my Twitter account until I cancel my appeal and delete my tweet till I say that there are five lights when there's actually definitely four. When I am willing to say two plus two equals five, then I'll be allowed back on. But so long as I insist that two plus two equals four, my account is broken. Hmm. 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 Another interesting poll, the Daily Wire reports, Elon Musk asked March 25th, actually, free speech is essential to a functioning democracy. Do you believe Twitter rigorously adheres to this principle? Yes or no? 2,035,924 votes. 29.6% reported yes 70.4% reported no. Do you believe Twitter rigorously adheres to this principle that free speech is essential to a functioning democracy? Ooh, brutal. And then he tweeted a follow-up, and I quote, the consequences of this poll will be important. Please vote carefully. So what should that tell us about the kinds of changes he's going to push for sitting on the board of directors? as the single largest stakeholder in the company? Well, for starters, he's going to presumably push for Twitter rigorously adhering to the principle that free speech is essential to a functioning democracy. You know, how do you, how do you provide accountability for your elected representatives if you can't disagree with them, if you can't question their integrity, if you can't question their decisions, their judgment, their interest, how do you how do you provide accountability if you're not even allowed to talk about concerns that you have with regards to their handling of, oh, I don't know, a pandemic? When the cure ends up being worse than the disease and you can't question the quote-unquote science, when even... Celebrated doctors and medical professionals and scientists, world-renowned 
scientists can't question the official policy with regards to COVID or else they get their Twitter accounts suspended, removed, deleted. You can't have a functioning democracy or a functioning republic for that matter. You no longer have government of the people, for the people, and by the people. So I think what Elon Musk is going to do is he's going to go into that board of directors meeting and he's going to say, look at the results of this poll. Almost 30% believe, yes, Twitter adheres to this principle. 70%, 7 out of 10, don't. It would be concerning even if these figures were reversed. 70% believed yes, and 30% believed no. But boy, howdy, you are underwater when over two to one, over a two to one ratio of your people don't think that you guys adhere to the principle that free speech is essential. Not just that it's a nice to have, not just that it's some luxury good if you have the right opinions, the right views. Well, that's not free speech then, right? That's not free speech when you have to have the right opinions. Everybody has to like what it is that you have to say in order for you to have the freedom to say it. That's not free speech. No, that's tyranny. Also, it speaks to a general weakness in the quality of your policies, your administration, your ideas, if you can't counter the criticism, you can't counter the efforts at accountability through argumentation, reason, evidence, facts. So you just silence. You just disappear anybody who is a critic. Here a little bit further down. March 26th, so this was the next day after the poll I was just telling you about. Elon Musk tweets out, given that Twitter serves as the de facto public town square, failing to adhere to free speech principles fundamentally undermines democracy. What should be done? And here he was responding to his own tweet from the day prior, where he said, free speech is essential to a functioning democracy. So he he basically takes the results of the poll and he says, okay, So, Twitter is the de facto public town square. There was an effort at making a new one, but that got squashed. Failing to adhere to free speech fundamentally undermines democracy. So what should we do about it? And then he tweets out after that, is a new platform needed? So he was teasing this out, right? And I did see that and it's like, oh, well, that's exciting. That's interesting. Maybe just maybe he is going to start his own social media platform. He could do it. I think it would be a lot more popular, a lot more successful than Donald Trump's effort at creating a new one. But see, that's the trouble with these big public squares is that if you leave them, you have left what little discussion, what little free speech was possible in the actual public square. And you've gone off into a corner and you're now doing your huddle and you're talking with people who probably already generally agree with you anyways. And so that's not really advancing the cause. That's not really a sustainable path forward to figuring out how to have a society and a culture and to live with one another in a peaceable way to govern ourselves together. You basically, at that point, are setting up, certainly in America, uh, the conditions for another civil war. We don't talk to them. They don't talk to us. We go to our huddle. They go to their huddle. And at a certain point, we're going to reach an impasse on some very important issue. And one side's going to try and enforce its will on the other side who it hasn't been talking with for an extended period. Meanwhile, the side having the other's will imposed on it will use force to say no. And it escalates up and up and up and up. 
And then what? Then what happens? So March 26th also, there's a tweet from someone named Pranay Patol. And I quote, would you consider building a new social media platform at Elon Musk? One that would consist an open source algorithm, which is to say, people would be able to look at the code, right? So, so this whole hiding behind, oh, it's just an algorithm, right? It's not our staff, it's not our management, it's not our unofficial policy and guideline to censor conservatives and people who disagree with the candidates that we want to win. You know, it's, it's not election interference on our part or on the part of whoever can hack into our systems. You know, it's, no, it's just, an, it's just an algorithm, right? This is just what the people want, right? So Twitter is democracy in that line of thinking. Okay, well, if it's just an algorithm, well, show us the algorithms to where we can see that there's no funny business. So Pranay Patol says that this new social media platform should consist in an open source algorithm. Again, going back to the whole idea of accountability. If the algorithm is there, anybody with an interest can look at it, check it out for themselves. Well then, if it really is a reflection of what people want, that this is popular and that this completely fell flat and nobody's looking at it, nobody's clicking on it, nobody's reacting to it, nobody's commenting on it, nobody is engaging it at all, at all, at all, well then, okay, we'll accept that, but we want to see the algorithm. We don't want to just take your word for it. One that would consist in open source algorithm, one where free speech and adhering to free speech is given top priority, one where propaganda is very minimal. I think that kind of platform is needed. Elon Musk tweeted back, 8.27 p.m., March 26th, am giving serious thought to this. And then it comes out that he's bought 9.2% of Twitter. You know, I've talked about this a lot over the years, but it's really, it's really, really a big deal to me. It's been a really big deal to me ever since my cousins and I started podcasting and blogging. It's been what, six years plus at this point since we started blogging at On The Rocks blog. And we were putting money into it. We had invited family and friends to like our blog, the Facebook page for our blog. We were writing and publishing content on a regular basis. And then all of a sudden, Facebook changed the rules. And a small fraction of the people who had liked and followed our Facebook page were actually seeing fresh posts, fresh content. And then Facebook wanted us to pay them to have access to our own audience, which is ridiculous. It's like you're holding my ability to communicate with any meaningful segment of the population. You're holding that hostage. And if I pay you, if I pay the ransom money, then you'll allow me to be heard by a certain number of people carefully chosen, all by algorithms, of course. Well, what is it, right? Like, is that a decision made just totally innocently or is the timing of that decision very important, very key, very crucial to what was going on in the country, what the left really wanted at that point in our country's history? There's been a lot of complaints a lot of reports to Project Veritas from Twitter insiders, from Facebook insiders, that it's not just algorithms. There are moderators behind the scenes who can, with a click of a button, just decide that your content, your video, your podcast, your blog post is going to be buried so far down. It'll still be there somebody to like really look hard for, but it'll be buried so far down people's home feeds that they know algorithmically the majority of people have given up looking at social media or should have given up on looking at social media 
before they get to the point where they would find your content. Not only have they given up, but the odds are much higher that they will have clicked into other content that was shown higher up in their home feed, and they will have spent however much time they felt like they actually had to dedicate to informing themselves, to considering other people's opinions, except they think they're getting a diverse range of opinions and they're not. They're getting a diverse range of opinions that all happen to align along certain very important lines, namely what the left wants you to think. So what you have is maybe 10 outlets who have news stories on a given subject. If their 10 stories about a given subject are going to show up in your followers' home feeds before yours is, oh, and then supposing that's not enough, a little notice is going to be put warning about misinformation. This post has been fact-checked by our independent fact-checkers and found to be containing of false or misleading statements. Are you sure you want to click on this? Are you sure you want to share this? Do you know some radical extremists in your family and friends group? Click here to find resources on what you can do to join our cause in shutting them up and shutting them down. It's crazy. It's a crazy town. And it's so dangerous. It is so, so very dangerous because it's so subtle. Twitter is not being programmed half as much as all of us are. Twitter is the console. Twitter is the terminal. We're the ones being programmed along very certain lines. So don't tell me you're for democracy when you're having a meltdown because Elon Musk just bought 9%. We're not even talking like 50% of Twitter, 9%. For him to even have a seat at the table, to be a, a significant player, a significant voice, and how the companies run moving forward, I think is a very, very positive sign. All I would ask is not that, you know, conservatives now get to censor and silence and suppress lefties, except for, you know, when they're trying to normalize pedophilia. I'm okay with censoring pedophiles. I am okay with that. I am also okay with us censoring people who are literally trying to incite people to burn down American cities so that the right candidate can win and the wrong candidate, as they see it, loses. But all I would ask is give us a fair shot. Let it be a fair fight. Not some craziness where hands from the crowd reach out and can grab on to fighters so long as they're wearing this color shorts. And then you object and you hear, oh, I don't know, you lost, right? Yeah, no, no, no. The real problem here is that when you got elbowed in the nose while you were trying to run, the real problem here is that it was unsportsmanlike for you to say, what the hell? The real problem is not the elbow to your face. No, 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 no. We've found that you violated our community standards. In other news, Parag Agrawal is the CEO of Twitter. He tweeted out just now, I'm excited to share that we're appointing Elon Musk to our board. Through conversations with Elon in recent weeks, it became clear to us that he would bring great value to our board. He's both a passionate believer and intense critic of the service, which is exactly what we need on at Twitter and in the boardroom to make us stronger in the long term. Welcome, Elon. He tweeted back, looking forward to working with Parag and Twitter board to make significant improvements to Twitter in coming months. Pray for... Elon Musk, pray for where this is going. Not that we pin our hopes to what happens or doesn't happen moving forward, but there's a great deal of good that could be done 
with these platforms if people who believe in truth and beauty and goodness have the muzzle taken off and can actually speak, can actually finish their thoughts and be heard. That's all we're asking. Don't have to make us popular. Just give us a chance to say what it is that we need to say. That's all the time I got for this episode, though. Stay tuned for our next episode, which I believe is going to be a book review of White Cargo, The Forgotten History of Britain's White Slaves in America. I'm very excited to talk more about that one. I also think stories like White Cargo should give us pause when certain features of our day and age become very much just accepted. Oh, that's just the way that it is. That's just, you know, yeah, it's unfortunate, but no sense getting all worked up about it. Well, indentured servitude, how a lot of men, women, and children were transported to these colonies, disposed of, dispensed with, abused, killed even in the early days of these colonies up until not long enough ago. Those same kinds of ways of relating, there's no new thing under the sun, the same ways of relating to people, disposing of them casually, if they threaten the status quo, the wealthy and powerful. You can still have that happen today. If we insist that it only happened back then, can't happen today, here, with these people, well, then we won't be any better than previous generations who just shrugged at chattel slavery. I, for one, think we should be better, but we have to actually learn the lessons. So, so more on that to come. Stay tuned. Hit subscribe if you haven't just yet. Feel free to share this podcast with somebody you know and love. Give them the gift that keeps on giving. Tell them to listen to the Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. But, again, as always, thank you for listening. Until next time, God bless. You've been listening to the Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. For more content like what you just heard, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Also check out thegarrettashleymulletshow.com to subscribe to email alerts when new episodes are published. As always, you can reach me with any comments, questions, complaints, objections, or insights at garrettashleymullet at protonmail.com.